I grabbed one and it there was some give and there was some fight to it. And I was like, oh wait, this is real. Like he's he's trying not to get eaten. So I, I had my chopstick and it, I had to grab it a couple times because it was slippery and he was jumpy and I was nervous. Like I'm actually grabbing this live thing and I'm about to put it in my mouth. Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts. Eli Aruth. Editor. And Jeffrey Kotnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. All right, and welcome to the catch-up. We are back. Uh, Izzy, thank you for jumping in last week and talking about tacos. I appreciate it. That was a fire podcast. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Eli. It was, yeah. it was fun. It was cool listening in another country as like just a fan of the episode, like not knowing what... I listened to our podcast after, but listening to it like... Not knowing what the conversation was, just seeing tacos. The guest last week, Kev, dude, really cool, guy. cool, cool guy. Yeah, cool guy. Um, speaking of which, me and Reach and some of our other team members, we were in China last week. We were shooting a couple episodes of. Uh, we were shooting our show, Taste the Details, um, and then we were also filming a few news bites. Um, so we were fortunate enough to be able to go to this uh, city about an hour out of shanghai and it's called suzhou and so uh, i'd love to like just unpack that with you this week jeff by the way uh guys the other voice you hear on here this week is tito reach our managing editor he's also the host of that show i described earlier taste the details if you haven't watched it jump over to our facebook watch page or our youtube page watch it that show you want to explain it reach because i think it's a dope show yeah taste the details is kind of like my love letter to food we take a little granular look a little in-depth look at either a particular food story a food menu item that revolves around uh, an overarching theme or even the people behind the food as long as they've got a really great um, detailed story that we can all dig into and that's what i try to take a lens at on that show i think the thing that excites me the most about taste the details is right now there's this huge abyss of food personalities that we just recently lost right Mm. um whether that's bourdain or jay gold and for me what makes me so excited about taste is not not to instantly compare our personality and reach to behemoths but like that's the same type of style and interaction and show that i feel like puts food beast on this other level and so for me to have that type of show in the food beast repertoire being here from day one is so exciting for me yeah because it's something you can travel with it's featuring a lot of stuff inside of la where we're based uh there's just i don't know i feel like there's a million opportunities for that show and because it's also not 22 50 minutes long we're gonna do a ton of them and i think that's what's really exciting too is you know we're not gonna necessarily have a 10 episode season where it's gonna you know where you necessarily binge but we're gonna have we're gonna have like 50 plus episodes in a relatively near future on all things that we learn 
from the culture and the food and the people and that's super exciting and it's kind of poetic like the, some of the episodes that we've done in the past have been like a steakhouse in vegas but like in the essence of the name taste the details is like you're learning about the the ins and outs and the little minute details at these restaurants that you don't think about or you may have overlooked and so each episode ends up looking like a poem yeah and feeling like a poem um so that's why i, I mean going i'd never been to an asian country before this trip i mean same for me i was born in the philippines but i came to this country when i was uh four years old and the last time i was in the philippines was like seven years old so it really feels like i literally have not been to an asian country myself dude when you want to go on a trip you book a plane ticket and you go like you can't do that to china and i didn't realize i took it for granted because like we're, we're we're we did a bit of research going into this trip and we did have help uh, shout out to gabe and his team yeah. like uh they they really helped us kind of book this trip and find things we we wanted to experience traditional suzhou cuisine so that's obviously not a thing that we knew anything about um i, I think the majority of us here that enjoy chinese food are enjoying like cantonese mandarin szechuan like we we in going to this region that we've never been before we realized oh shit there are a ton of territories in china like and each one of them has very distinct cuisine and so I was like, I'm going to sit back and like, just like any other trip we go on, frankly, I take it for granted. Someone books us tickets, but it's not that easy. It's not that easy to go to China. And I didn't realize like, all right, visa. Okay, shit. How do you get a visa? That's a thing. Have you, have you guys had to fill out visa forms before for any other no. travel that you've been on? No. No, like none, time. right? Me either. None. I've never... I'm trying to think. I've yeah, I've never. I don't think I've filled out visa forms for anything that I've ever and it was traveled. A process to. like capital P process, <laughs> Joel Embiid process. I regret taking on that part of our trip pre-production because I was uh, there. Everyone was like, "Oh well, you need to fill out the visa process." Like, how hard could it be? I'm gonna get everyone's name and passport and send it off, and I'm gonna get a visa back. <laughs> Fuck, that was incorrect. Luckily, we got put in touch. I hope you guys do this podcast because I do want you guys to visit China. I just think it's it's important and imperative. Um, but I hope you guys can leave with like actual breadcrumbs and utility of how to get there. So we use this company called CITB, which is basically like a agent for you that kind of helps you through the visa process. So basically, you fill all these forms in English and they work with the embassy in whatever region you're in. So for us, we're in California, the embassy's in LA, but they did everything. And uh with that visa process, what's funny is when we sat down, once we're we're already in China at this point, it's day two, our first full day, we're in Suzhou, we've taken the bullet train, and we're at dinner in this private room in our hotel, and we have our tour operator's boss, he's having dinner with us. Shout and out to Harold. Shout out the to Harold, securing the bag out in China. <laughs> um, he, one of his first questions at the table is how come Americans don't come to China? And I'm like, okay, we're at a table. There's me, Reach, uh, Ricky, our videographer. Teresa's out there helping us. And there's other journalists at the table, maybe two other ones. And one of the journalists immediately pops up. She goes, it's because the visa process. Very hard. Oh, language. No one can speak the language. Like that. They're just popping up in my head. I have like my agency hat on. I just want to fix things. Yeah. Like. You know, we're, we're here we're here to create content, but I also like want to create content that informs people so they can come and be excited about what we're sharing. 
And I wanted to say something, but I didn't say anything then. Because I was like, as soon as I did, I was like, I'm going to make that the mission of my seven or eight days here in China is to find out why people don't visit here and see if we can do any sort of wall breaking. And I don't want wall breaking. Great. Ooh, I definitely didn't do that, guys. Don't arrest me to <laughs> China next. That feels like some fucking jello ball shit <laughs> to make a joke about breaking no the wall. No harm meant. <laughs> Um, and so I didn't want to answer that question, but that question shaped the rest of my trip. He was basically, I felt he was asking me like, how do we fix this problem of getting Americans to come to China? I didn't know how to answer that initially either. Um, because it's also day one. It's day one. I don't know shit. I don't even know if I like China yet. Like, frankly, we didn't know. And so we just kind of kept to ourselves for that particular dinner and didn't answer. But it definitely stuck in my mind for the rest of the trip of like, well, I've already in my day there. I did notice some challenges, like money. Our first night, we stayed in Shanghai at this hotel that is, for all intents and purposes, gorgeous resort tied to uh, where they had the Olympics. And so it's like the most international destination you could possibly stay at for that first night. Yet, ATM isn't there, didn't work. Uh, Checking into the hotel, if we didn't have our translator, would have been very challenging. And so... I could have immediately, my gut would have been like, it's hard. People don't speak English here. Uh, my money doesn't work here. Your credit cards don't work, by the way. Like in, in 95% of the venues that you go to, your American credit cards will not work. Yeah, they don't take Visa or Discover readily at a lot of places. Yeah. So that was already a problem, especially when we're just trying to find a place to eat. Yeah. The first night was we we checked into the hotel in Shanghai and we immediately like, yo, let's go, let's go, let's go hit these street vendors. Like we hadn't gotten currency or anything, but we're like, well, someone will take credit card. And we should have knew because the first stop at the airport, Reach and I tried to go to the McDonald's. And Turned us away. Yeah, I'm like grunting at the menu, just pointing <laughs> at the sandwich that I wanted that I'd never seen before. And she was like, okay, one. I was like, yeah, one. And then she, I take out my credit card and she just waves me off with her, her index finger, basically saying like, we don't take that. And then I showed her my MasterCard. <laughs> and she was like, no, 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 no. So everyone there uses WeChat. To not to pay to, to pay. Well, they use WeChat for everything, yeah. by the way. So like WeChat, I didn't even know anything about. I thought it was like a WhatsApp, just like a chatting service before going there. But WeChat is basically their social network, but it's also their payment portal. So everything in China has this QR code that's tied to WeChat. So if you want McDonald's, you tell her what you want. And then you just pull your phone out, scan this QR code, transaction happens. You need a Chinese bank account to make this work, and you tie that to your WeChat account. But everything. Like so, it, and you guys don't have Chinese bank accounts. No, no. So there's... Already there. There's already a hurdle of this is what everyone uses. What I use every day is not available. But I do have to say one thing. I, for you guys to be in China without Chinese currency, like that is a fucking millennial thing. Yeah, like, that, that was our fuck up. That is for like... Sure. <laughs> I know I'm old man food beast, but that like I specifically if I'm going well, especially when I went to Japan or an Asian country where I have no idea what's going to happen to not have a couple hundred dollars in cash, even just for emergencies is so ridiculous. Well, So I left before we got on the plane here, here in L.A., I pulled out cash. I pulled out U.S. currency, right? Because I was like, cool, at the airport, I'll transact this shit. I'll like... 
I, I, even if I don't pull it out of a bank, I have a, like I have $300 in U.S. hard cash. Who doesn't take this? Like the most Western shit you could think of. <laughs> Who isn't going to take this currency? So we're at the airport and the airport, everything moves fast. So we're at the airport. Now we got to, that currency didn't work. I can't find anywhere to change my money just yet. But we have to catch our train. We have to take this this bullet train to get to our hotel. So, dude, Gabe, our guy, he didn't have cash either. Like, he's been to China before. And so the first night to go back to our hotel, we want to eat and we go out. We're just like, yeah, I want some, I want dumplings. I want something. We're going to go out to the streets. We walk for an hour in the light, beautiful, drizzly rain to realize no one will take our money. We can't find a bank. And no one will take our cards. So we end up back at our hotel where they do take our cards and we have dinner at the hotel. (laughs) Yeah. Like that was our first night in China. Like it could have been discouraging, but the food was fire at the hotel. It was good. It was first night though. we, We immediately realized they do not serve water at cold water, cold water. Bing Si. What's that? Bing Si is Cantonese for ice water. Oh shit! We should have said that. I, I don't think it would have worked where you were at anyway, because that's Cantonese. But yeah, that we worked in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was trying to order some refreshing cold water after walking around for an hour, all hungry, and they came up to like gave me a glass of warm water. I was hot. I was like, <laughs> "What are you like?" I said cold, and they gave hot or warm water, not refreshing, and not very good. I, I was upset. And everything's tea, right? So everything's everything's tea. everything's tea. That's the that's the standard if you're drinking anything, right? Yeah. Well, here, like in American restaurants, right? The first thing that's on the table is ice water. The first thing on the table in every restaurant that we went to was hot tea. Fire you don't even tea. ask for it. You don't Great ask for tea. it. Great tea. Jasmine, you're- chrysanthemum, all kinds. Green tea. Yeah. Black tea. But when you ask for water, it was almost. I don't know if we were asking for it incorrectly. But it was kind of like, a, yeah. do you really need that right now? Well, I mean, I asked uh, Wendy, one of our tour guides there, and she explained that um, in their culture, warm water is better for their health. Mm. So it got kind of some, has something to do with like temperature regulation or something like that. But uh, that was her explanation, you know, to good health, but I wanted to have good refreshment. So, well, and to give some more context to, to, to your trip. It's not like you had been to Shanghai. It's not like you had been to Beijing. No, we're like it's brand like new Western yeah, Hong Kong. We knew nothing. So you're walking into Suzhou, which is a destination that like before we were looking at this trip was not at the top of our minds, right? So this for for all intents and purposes, this is a a deep dive to uh a a, a major city it's a major city with eight million people but it's not the first city people think of when they no. think of visiting china so you guys kind of went into a deeper layer almost immediately like you flew into shanghai and you were there for maybe a night or something yeah. but that was more transportation logistics to get you into suzhou which yeah is just a layer deeper than Going to Hong Kong or going to Shanghai. yeah, it's like it's like a f- American. Fo- it's like a foreigner flying into New York but not staying in New York, and you're going to Chicago. Yeah. Like there's a lot of cultural nuances to going to Chicago versus staying in New York and getting that breath there. Uh, I mean, have you guys? What I learned in China is like things are fundamentally different. Like it was the most fundamentally different trip I've ever been on, and I've been around. 
I just haven't been to an Asian country. Is it? Are, are there similarities in China that are relative to like Japan and Thailand? Because I haven't been anywhere else there. Like, is that Jeff? You've been to like Thailand? Yeah, I've been. I haven't been in China. I mean, I've <laughs> I've technically been to China when my plane was grounded, but I haven't traveled and spent significant time there. Uh, but the Asian countries that I have gone to have also been very much catered to English-speaking tourism. So yeah. uh, whether that's an entire country that needs tourism for their own gross domestic product and is the number one industry, like with Thailand, well, they're going to – people are going to speak English because – or at least in a lot of the tourist areas, people are going to speak English because they're they're building, they're chasing the American tourism dollar, right? Yeah. So that's going to be different than what I gather from your experience in Sujo. And then for Japan, in the 1980s, as Japan was one of the top three economic powerhouses of the world there was so much commerce happening with the u.s and japan that they built their infrastructure for english speaking so when you go to at the very least the major cities when you go to tokyo even if you're in kyoto or osaka major transportation hubs hotels signage a lot of those things will have english on them so even if you will, you would have a better experience if you spoke a little Japanese, you can immerse yourself and still get around. And it's almost like in Southern California, even if you know a little bit of Spanish, you can go a long way. If people in Japan know, were taught English in school. So they, if you say a word, it's not completely foreign to them. They may not speak it, but they heard it in their fifth grade class for three years or whatever that was. And the basic tenets of English can can happen almost anywhere in major cities in Japan. And that's where I think from what I've gathered from you guys was the huge difference of going to, to China and Suzhou. In our seven day window, we didn't run, we ran into so many issues just trying to communicate where in every other country we've been to, we can grunt and speak and have like one, like I can be like money and be like, okay, yeah, dollar or like one, two, three, like these things, we were missing that level of communication. Yeah, for, I mean, for the first time, I was finding myself taking pictures of the menu and the item and showing them the picture on my phone. And I think I, I didn't think I'd ever, I've ever done something like that in order to communicate because the, the, base level pointing and trying to infer with body language wasn't enough. I have a question for you guys because to me, American, younger American tourists, we're like the luckiest people on the planet mm -hmm. when we travel. And wh why I say that is because, because America, while we're growing up in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, we're the we're the top country on this totem pole, right? And so every other country, especially those dependent on tourism, especially those close to the US, they're they're built 
for us to go there. Yeah. Right. And so the experience that we have, the experience that we had in Honduras or yeah. Mexico or again, the places that I mentioned like Thailand or Japan, they're, they're built for us to be there because they're chasing that American dollar. But I really feel like that shouldn't shift our expectations of what we should expect when we go to a different country. Yeah. It's Just an unfair it's a luxury. Yeah. It's a luxury. And because we're used to it, we shouldn't walk into another country and, and expect. want a Western paintbrush yeah, the whole and, thing. and expect that. And that's why I felt like it, when Harold asked us that question at dinner, our tour operator in China, and he basically is like, what can, like, basically, what can we do? What can we change? Like, don't change a damn thing. Because it's like, why, why do they need, they don't need us. China doesn't need us. There's over, there's between one to two billion people there. They are their own nation, unlike any other. Like, they don't need to change. They don't. What do they benefit? They, there's obviously like you can use more tourists. You can always use more tourists. And if you go deep into some of the villages they went, it's not like they were ignoring us, right? Like they see someone that looks like an alien and a tall six foot Arab dude with a beard and me. And they were like, please come eat at my restaurant. It's not like there's not a need for tourism. But they are also so self-contained and they've been like that for so long for better or worse that it was the first time i've explored a place on the planet earth that didn't need you it doesn't need the outside world they're very self-contained things are things are working i mean this this uh town we went to in suzhou was built on this gorgeous man-made lake humongous the entire skyline is filled with these humongous 40, 50, 60 story tall buildings. We went to the W there and it was the, one of the tallest buildings in the area. And the guy at the W, the manager, he looks out at the skyline and he goes, none of that was here 20 years ago. Wow. 20 fucking years and they could build up an entire city from what used to be farmland. You can't do that shit in the United States. Now, this goes back to communism because I had no idea what communism was before this trip. I also still don't have an idea. I did a vague uh, Wikipedia search because one of our uh, listeners, I'm going to shout you out, L.A. Petite Bell Eats, asked, did it feel like you were under an evil communist regime? Are you even allowed to say that word? So she's asking about our trip. No, I did not feel like we were under an evil communist regime in the least bit. And but I think an evil communist regime is this construct that we have in like American media. Yeah. That it's a plot point. It's it, a plot point. Yeah. I, like the, when I hear that in plot points, I imagine soldiers on the street looking at your every waking moment with guns. I didn't see a single gun in China. I saw hundreds of police, but none of them had guns. Like this is actual law enforcement. Like they they figure other things out. So in terms of like a quote unquote evil communist regime, I didn't see that. But what I did see was I was just curious. I was like, man, I don't see any homeless people. I see. How do you guys build these buildings? Like they're like, well, we just like if someone's if your house is in the line of where a developer wants to build a train, they eminent domain. Yeah, yeah, shit. yeah you're gone. For real. You're gone. Except the U.S. eminent domain will take eight years, and yeah, you know, I'm sure China's is you're out in thirty days. Yeah, I'm sure that's what that is. That's exactly what it is. So in Orange County, if someone wants to build a shopping mall in your area, they have to basically get the permission of every single resident house that lives there. 
and make you an offer to vacate or whatever. And that process could either happen quickly or it could take years or they don't vacate. Like in Orange County at the Orange Mall, there's basically this like this shopping center, but it's built around this one house that decided they don't want to sell. And now the mall is built as like a U-shape around this one two-bedroom house that just stood their ground and did not want to sell for any reason at any price. In China, if they want to build a railroad through your town, you're all gone. Like they will – so I did ask. I was like, well, that sounds kind of fucked up. What happens? Like if they – like, well, the government will either pay you a fair price for your home and you can use it to purchase somewhere else or they will tri- or they will find you a new home that's larger – a little bit more outside the city. But we don't have time to negotiate because we want to progress our infrastructure. We want to build these buildings. We want things to be tight for you. And so like that's the mentality. I didn't correlate that with communism because I didn't under- I don't know what communism is. Go ahead, DM me. I'm an idiot. But um, I thought that was really unique. I can't say it's a pro or a con. I think the pros that you have all this beautiful infrastructure, great town, quickly advancing. The con, from my understanding, would be that you just don't really own your house. You don't own the land. And there's no hope in owning that land because it's this communal owning by the government. And I I thought that was a little... I thought that was interesting. And I could also see that even... Even if Chinese or whoever uh, hackers affect geopolitics or if China is doing certain things to in- inflate their own currency and buy back U.S. stock. Like these are the headlines that you'll see in the news, right? You'll see what the, what the Instagrammer that, that you mentioned that submitted that question, this evil Chinese regime, is because you see that that's what's shaping geopolitics in this U.S. versus China trade war situation, etc. But how that's going to affect your trip as a listener of this podcast to Suzhou in China, like it might, there might be some effects in timing or might be effects in currency, but I'm assuming that you're not going to see one ounce of that from your perspective, Eli reach when you're on the ground. Like that's not something you might feel the practical implications, right. Of, yeah. Of WeChat mm-hmm. of poor internet of no Instagram of internet. You, all those things I think you'll feel. But to me, my question is, is it more rewarding because it's a harder nut to crack? Hell yeah. I, and, I, and I think that's where I'm getting at is, again, I'm old school. When I go to a different country, I've got a Lonely Planet book marked up before I go. Like, I've got things I want to see. I've got 10 phrases in a different language, like, in my pocket just in case of an emergency. And that's exactly how our parents travel. Like, you didn't walk into another country not knowing a lick of their language and expecting the best trip of your life. Like, that just didn't make any sense. But now with Google Translate and Google Maps, we can almost go anywhere except China, China, I'm assuming. Get Google Translate. So there are ways around the great firewall situation that is China. The young VPN. So if you're not familiar, China will, they do box you out. And you can no long, you can't you can't go to Google.com, you can't use Gmail, your Facebook doesn't work, your Instagram won't work, your Snapchat won't work. Yep, That's not a thing work. in China. 
They don't know what it is. Yeah. But you can download something called a VPN. Just Google it, find out about it. And it basically creates this protocol where you're basically accessing like an American or wherever your home base internet is. And it kind of tricks the internet into thinking you're accessing it from America or wherever you are. So that was a way we did have some access to Facebook, Google. This thing is not a foolproof method. It kicks you off spotty. every couple minutes. Yeah, it's spotty. You're also connecting to internet across the world. So it's really challenging. But there are ways to get around it. But that's interesting because when we did land in China, I expected like, yo, internet's going to be fire. Like if I have a question, I will look it up. But Google Translate saved us so many, so many times. Tell me, tell me when. Dude, across the street from our hotel, there is this bar that has a flashing light. It's an English speaking bar. Like, fuck yeah. Dude. A blackjack bar. Yeah. Black, it's called the blackjack <laughs> bar. So we go there. Me and Ricky late night after a long day of shooting. And Ricky's wearing like a green Ninja Turtles hat. I'm just, I'm ready to go. And I'm sitting down at this bar. We get a couple beers with the few currency that we have left. And this drunk Chinese man walks up to us. <laughs> and uh, at first he, he looks at Ricky's muscles. Ricky's obviously allergic to sleeves. So uh, his, <laughs> his muscles are showing. He taps Ricky on the, on the muscles. He seems like a jolly guy. And he taps our beers. We cheers. And we, we shoot our beers. Then he looks at Ricky's hat and his facial movements change. He looks upset and he taps Ricky's hat. Some shit you do that in America, like you're it's sort of fighting words, yeah, right? It's, it's about to go down. Taps the brim of Ricky's hat. And I'm like, oh shit. What happened? Does he love this hat or does he hate it? I'm still uh, I'm still curious about a lot of Chinese uh kind of Mannerism. like aneurysms and yeah. all that. And he goes like this, he waves it, no, 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 no. Like it's almost like a taboo to be wearing this hat. And I have no idea what he's talking about. I look around the bar to make, just to get a, a stock of what's going on there. Like maybe we walked into the wrong bar, but uh, there's a lot of it. There's some English speaking people there. Saw a group of gentlemen there. And then I was, and he was like, he, he typed something on his phone in Google translate, but the first translation doesn't work very well. He's basically like men don't wear this hat. And I was like, Oh shit. What does that mean? Like, does he think we're gay? Does he think like, are we in a gay bar or are we not in a gay bar? And are we offending people here? And I respond to him. I was like, what do you mean? And Google Translate. Now we're just showing our phones to each other. It's a loud bar. What we come to surmise is that wearing a green hat in China means you sleep with other people's wives. Whoa! Yeah, you're, which you're is a like a cuck. great effect. You're a cuck. You, you, Wh what? Yes. Yeah. So he was just looking out for us. He was looking out for Ricky because he could tell we didn't know. So that's why he said, because uh, if he did know, he probably wouldn't have fucked with us. He wouldn't have talked to us at all. But he did talk to us. It was basically just trying to tell us like, yo, dude, this like, it's kind of offensive because you're basically walking around either saying that you slept with someone's wife or you're about to cop someone's wife. But that means people do that? Yeah. So green <laughs> green is the Mr. Steelio girl hat. Oh. <laughs> Pretty much. Wow. Dude, and it, it just derives from, I guess, the phrase in Chinese for cuck is similar to how they say green. Um, I mean, other tales have it that prostitutes in the, in the some of the past dynasties wore green hats. Even the male brothels, they sported green hats. But whatever the tale was, a green hat is a no-no in China. Damn. But Google Translate saved us because, I mean, he tapped the hat first. Like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely something where if Reach's hat gets tapped like that, 
Three man, times. we can have more than a conversation. Yeah, I know. I was like, you got to be, hands might be had. Yeah. And you do that with Ricky, whose bravado is on display constantly. Like, I don't, I, I, that's a really scary international situation for yeah. sure. Because all it takes is one more, one more thing, right? Tap of the hat, something else. And now there's potential violence happening. Like yeah. that in a, that's crazy. Man. I just got it. There's one more greenhouse story. So on our last day, mm. we're trying. We, we've had plenty of amazing cuisine here, but we're just fiending for McDonald's. Like we needed McDonald's before we left. There's an hour before our driver is supposed to take us to the airport. And me, Ricky, Reach, and a couple other people, we decide we're going to let's take some cabs to go to McDonald's and get this food. So... First of all, the cab drivers, we take two different cabs. They take us to a McDonald's that's not very close. So we're already running behind. We show up with like now 30 minutes left before we need to get back. We haven't eaten yet. Wait, did they take you to different McDonald's? They no. took us to the same one, thank goodness. But okay, because like, it was two But there cars. was a closer McDonald's yeah. just like two blocks away. Yeah, but, but like since we took two separate cabs, our group, we both saw the McDonald's we were passing on the way. But we're like, fine, he's taking us to maybe a safer McDonald's. We're just trusting our cabbies at this point. Anyways, we we order our food. Everything's good. But we're in now such a hurry to get home. So me, Reach, and Teresa, we, we're able to hail a cab. And we show him our hotel like business card that shows like where to take us, please. And so that works out. But Ricky and Gabe, who Gabe's our tour guy, he, uh, they, they can't find a cab. And we, they need to get, they're like, they almost think of starting to run back to the hotel, but they would never make it in time. They end up finding these scooter boys, basically the share ride that's on a scooter that will take them there. Yeah, they pull up, eh, eh, hop in, and it's that <laughs> yeah. kind of scene, you know? And they're like, all right, all right, let's go hop in. So Gabe and uh, Ricky are on the back of these scooters, just zipping around the city. Mind you, Gabe's still wearing his green hat. Gabe, I mean, Ricky. Ricky, Ricky's still wearing his green hat, did not learn his lesson. So <laughs> they pass the hotel on these cat on these uh, bikes and fuck. They're like, guys, turn around right here. Go to the hotel. And they're like, no, 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 no. They were taking them to a brothel. They were yeah. taking them to a brothel with their McDonald's, ignoring the hotel distinction. And then when Ricky and Gabe started like spouting off, like, no, 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 no. Take us to our hotel. Here's the card. They finally whip them back. They realize like, okay, these guys don't want to go to a brothel. We totally misread this. They hop off to try to pay these guys. Mind you, our trip in the cab for three people cost us something like 15 their currency. They charged each of them. They were under the assumption they were going to pay 30 each. A lot, but still fair. When they get off, these two uh, scooter guys are so furious that they want 50 each. And they're, they only have, they have the 30 each that they're trying to pay. They're in the driveway of the hotel and Ricky, deci Ricky decides to like, you know what? He gives them their 30, their 40. And they're just trying, the, the two guys are looking at each other, decide if this is enough money. And they start fucking screaming at them. We're late for our flight. So Ricky and Gabe just decide, you know what? Fuck you guys, we're out. And they just run. 
Because they tried to pull the okie doke yeah. on them. They tried to do the bait and switch. Here, what, made it, what made it safe though is someone from the hotel came out and noticed that we were trying to get. They were trying to get swindled. So the guy from the hotel was basically like, "Leave these two guys alone. They've paid you more than enough." So it wasn't like they were running away from any like payment. They were they were paying what was agreed upon and more. They like tipped also on top of it. So, but it was like they were not. They were just so... We don't know why they were so upset. I know why they were so upset. It's the equivalent of sending a free limo to your Vegas hotel to bring you to a strip club. <laughs> ah, they were getting they the get money. They get paid on, on the back end ah, to bring guys to brothels. That's totally ah, what that was. And they get paid dope because the brothels ah, like, thanks for bringing me a new American customer. That's what it that's was. That's totally what it was. So instead of like... They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can take you wherever you want. Not knowing that you guys had a flight. And then they were like, oh, we're going to like take these American guys to somewhere that they'll probably won't object to. We'll get paid and then we'll just leave them. That's uh, definitely what they were. Oh, thinking. and Ricky's wearing the green hat. So like, of course this dude smashes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let's take him to smash scene. He was Ricky told me that he was doing the 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 symbol where you the put in a finger in between, a finger a, in between the hole in your hand. Holding hand, yeah. Wow. <sighs> wow. Okay, well you guys I don't want the I don't want our audience to think that you guys went to Sue Joe and ate McDonald's, which, we by the way, did which you that. did, did do that, but <laughs> and not KFC, KFC and <laughs> We hit all the young brands. Okay, so for let's start there. What was different about the fast food there from the major chains that that we all know? It felt like there was a level of respect towards the fast food there. So uh, Wendy, who we became very uh, close with, she's a she's our great great tour guide. Uh, born and raised in Suzhou. She was telling us about her child. Her child, when he succeeds in school, she would take him to KFC. KFC is a celebration point. It's a sit-down there, isn't it? Yeah, most of them are sit-downs. The Pizza Hut we went to in that new part of Suzhou that I said was built in 20 years. Li Gong beautiful. Yeah. What's, that, what's that area called? Li Gong Di. Gorgeous Pizza Hut. Two stories. It looks like a club. It's the, like, ni- it's the nicest olive garden you'll step in. Dude, <laughs> great service there. Like, they have a bar, and we ordered a Peking duck pizza, also a durian pizza. First time I had Fire. durian. Incredible. This silky, slightly sweet, mushy on top, crispy Pizza Hut crust, like yellow did not stink like the the no. the stereotype that comes along with durian dude the pizza hut there is cracking like it's awesome i love i loved durian, i love the fast food the king of fruits mm-hmm. it's just that silky great word for it silky yeah because the that was the mouthfeel but the taste not too sweet played well with the just the the tomato sauce and everything so it was not an outright dessert pizza it was just a good tasting pizza with that slight sweetness yeah, the, the duck pizza too, the Peking duck. I mean, it had it had a bit of the onion. It had the the hoisin sauce that yeah. they that they run on it. Dude, great pizza. I mean, we shot a video there for a news bite just on a whim. That was while we were waiting to get seated for dinner at our second or third Suzhou cuisine. Which that very night we also had something that I've never seen reach like feel uncomfortable with food. Until two two different times yeah, during man. our Suzhou cuisine experience, one of these we put on Instagram. They're they're these jumping shrimp. Basically, they're just fresh shrimp. The fresh they're still alive. Which is also they're freshwater shrimp. Right? Freshwater Correct. shrimp. It's not seafood technically. This is coming from one of the earmarks of Suzhou is that they have a lot of lakes 
and canals and this this fresh water but not seafood it's not touching a big body of water so a, a little different essence to a lot of the seafood that we ate but so one of the restaurants we sat at they brought out this shrimp that sits in what looks like your grandma's house's candy container the glass candy container and it's had a bunch of sh- jumping shrimp in there yep and that's the visual that i that i remember seeing and it's literal it's literal jumping shrimp that would jump out of this container if there wasn't a yeah. lid on it yeah mind you these aren't tiny shrimp they're substantial about like two three inches long and you see a bowl pop up right in front of you in this brown sauce, and it's just shrimp hopping up everywhere. They're like in shrimp club, just jumping and everything. <laughs> and they're like, it was my turn to try it. They're like, hey, you want to try it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking try everything once, whatever. And then I got my chopstick, and I put my, I grabbed one, and it, there was some give, and there was some fight to it. And I was like, oh, wait, this is real. Like, he's, he's trying not to get eaten. So I had my chopstick, and it, I had to grab it a couple times because it was slippery. It was jumpy, and I was nervous. Like I'm actually grabbing this live thing and I'm about to put it in my mouth. It's also covered in sauce, so it's covered splattering in everywhere on the table. And like alcohol, because it's called drunken shrimp. That's how they tame the shrimp to not be jumpy all for like for the whole duration. So I grab the shrimp, put it in my mouth, and bite down. Just close my eyes and bite down. And I was like, just I didn't know how I felt about it because I was like, damn, like I just straight up killed this animal you, with you my did, teeth you did it you <laughs> yeah did it. i did the thing and the flavor was um anything but oceany it was just this clean fresh flavor that was uh i don't know how to even describe it if you've had a sweet shrimp yeah on sushi i'm a ebby um, if you've mm, had that before yeah it has like a gloss to it um a real nice almost like a candy bite to it yeah and it's it's ever so slightly gummy but it's not chewy in the least bit yeah. like it di- someone asked one of the other questions uh, i'll shout you guys out when i see it but they asked does it jump around in your mouth like no it dies because you, you, you bite, bite the it. head and and it dies into your mouth and then you just enjoy it and it has this had a nice little spicy sauce to it yeah but then you get the sweetness of the shrimp and it was really nice i mean i didn't have a ton of it but it's one of those fun things at the table. You see all the white people like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mortifying. Like, because you're seeing this. Like, your your food is alive. It is the most fresh it can be because it literally just got pulled out of that fresh water. Yeah. It got marinated a little bit and put into this bowl and brought to your table. Like, that. that's very indicative of a lot of the cuisine that we had was, like, it was super fresh. You're usually within earshot of seeing the body of water, whether you're in one of the canals in the in the streets that we ate at or at this particular restaurant. We're on the second floor, which is across the street from the Pizza Hut we were at, looking at this gorgeous man-made lake. Like, you're usually within the within arm's reach of the land that the food came from, which is awesome. And that really influenced the cuisine because just they, they really put a premium on just the freshness of ingredients, whether it's vegetables or seafood or even just poultry. Uh, no food was frozen there. I think that's what they prided themselves on in terms of preparation and getting the ingredients. So it really um, set the table for what the overall cuisine was for us. And let's not leave the shrimp for one second because... <laughs> oh, I had a thought afterwards. Yeah, because... Well, here's the thing. I'm... Tr- for our listenership, I'm trying to compare it to, let's compare it to Asian Cajun food, right? Mm. Where you're getting, where you're getting a bag of boiled shrimp, skin on, peeling it yourself, 
obviously it's not alive and then you're kind of eating it with your hands so and a lot of times when you when you eat the shrimp you pull off the head you don't eat the head for a lot of us we suck the head because mm, the head the has like the oh, tons yeah. of flavor so compare that eating shrimp experience to what you guys had so were you biting the head yeah because that would kill essentially like that's the first bite is you bite the head eat the entire head no so similar idea where you don't eat the head so okay. you, you 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 with your chopsticks you grab the head and it's the the tail that you're eating and the tail on this particular shrimp it's way younger it felt in ways it's way smaller so it doesn't have that exoskeleton that's really crunchy so don't think you have to like bite into yeah so it's actually like you're just getting there, there is no crunch to it which is what was so fascinating because i'm familiar with the shrimp that you're talking about where you go to your boiling crabs and you have to peel the shrimp like people no. eat it with the skin on but like i don't i don't like that like i'll still eat i'll still peel the shrimp and eat it um so what's left after you put this jumping wiggly shrimp into your mouth is you you're basically biting off the body and you're left with the head and you you can suck the head but it's so small that you just kind of discard it okay um so the the experience is a little bit different where you're just biting that off and they've all just been sitting and soaking with each other it's pretty it's pretty delicious it's also really interesting to see your food like that i was really thrilled with the whole experience and i was like damn this tastes good i'm glad i went through it i ate this live animal kind of feel guilty but not but then i was realizing that yo these are fresh ass shrimp and they're not deveined so i have a a (laughs) ton of shrimp poop essentially and i was like man (laughs) whatever it was still tight that's what you thought about after the whole (laughs) that's what i thought about i ate some shrimp poop but it's all good man i realize you don't like liver no liver really i've never seen reach like this discomforted we were at a noodle spot, one of, a very well-touted noodle spot out there, and one of the dishes was liver, but it doesn't look like liver on the plate. And Reach is about to speak for this this segment and taste the details, and all of a sudden I look over at him, and he had accidentally eaten this liver. He thought it was like barbecue. It looks like other yeah, capacity. It just looked like beef. And I mean the recoil on Reach, the fact that we stopped filming for like five minutes and like cutting off the cameras was like he had just devoured a baby. Like that was <laughs> by accident. Like that shit was wild. Yeah. I was mean, it was it a taste that you were intimately familiar with already and then you knew what it yeah, was and exactly. was starting to recoil? I mean just off off the jump i don't like liver and like blood and that irony taste and the texture of it all so i was talking about i was like all right they're serving liver here i'm gonna tell y'all this i don't like liver blah blah blah. i made my announcements whatnot some you know doing this segment and i'm dipping into this thing i thought it was just beef put it in my mouth and it was and i chewed it and i was like okay this (gasps) kind (laughs) of i gave this big gas and it was like this is fucking liver, man. It's <laughs> liver. Mind you, Reach ate frog the day before. Like, what's going on? Like, we had this delicious stew. It's like frog and what else is in it? Turtle. Reach? Turtle. Pigeon. And I was I was cool. Everything was copacetic until the liver came slurp strolling through. And, and I had to just compose myself. And I kind of got mad. I don't know what, who. I just got mad that I ate this whack liver. No, I mean, whack. It's probably great to them. To me, I just don't like liver. And yeah, I I thought it was going to come out. 
So I was mad. I'm cussing, and I'm like, I don't know who to be mad at except for myself because I ate this liver. And uh, the way that they, they disguised it to make it look like something else, credit to that chef. <laughs> you tricked me. So shout out to him. So, so I know nothing about Sujo cuisine. Give me some of the standouts that you guys had. Yeah. I've seen some of the things that we posted, like that amazing magical ball of dough, fried dough that cre- creates this ominous orb. Like that's dude, amazing. Dude, we're still workshopping it, to be honest, because the Taste the Details episode that we went to shoot, like we're still trying to figure out how to best describe Sujo cuisine, at least to our audience. And so we went to we went to four or five very traditional Sujo restaurants. Um, and we had a lot of similar things prepared slightly differently and different classes of it. Like we went to one that was more hole in the wall. We went to one that was more standard in a village. And then we went to a really high end one on one night. So the stuff that we saw across all of them, pork belly was huge. Like yeah. they used a lot of pork belly and each one was developed so beautifully like each one i was so curious at every restaurant like yeah how are they gonna do the pork belly here because it's it's an art and each one is doing it completely different the first spot it looked like they just braised it for four hours yeah and then they was scored. that the jiggly one it oh. jiggles like jello automatic holy jiggle. cow that was, was crazy. the jiggly one right that it literally looked like meat jello when you shifted your plate yeah. back and forth yeah. that's how soft and just I mean, buttery is an understatement with how that pork belly was. Like, even melt in your mouth is an understatement because it just, once you put it in, it just, this fat disintegrates and just yeah. drapes your tongue. And it's just so exquisite. Because the top is like jello. Yeah. And you grab it with your, with your chopsticks. And as you pull it up, you see the shreds of the meat below. But the very top is jello. And then the meat below just kind of hangs and comes up. Is incredible. It looked so simple. A big part of Sujo Cuisine, I felt like they make it look like you go home and do this. But like You probably home, can't. Yeah, the craft <laughs> that goes involved with making pork belly look like jello is insane. Like I can't imagine. Then the next spot, how do they do pork belly? Oh, the the very fine dinner one that we did inside this beautiful room in the Marriott, they they sliced the pork belly so thin that they basically turned it into this ribbon. And this ribbon went around in a pyramid shape. So you basically, to eat this pork belly that got plated on a bed of, of vegetables, you get to peel the pyramid apart. You peel... Like a 3D pyramid. 3D pyramid of pork, pork belly. belly. So it unravels itself as you pull this thin bacon strips. And it just it's like the dress just undresses itself for you. I don't know how they made it. Like, I can see that how they shredded the pork belly, which is already a feat in and of itself. But to put it into pyramid form, I don't know how they did it. Yeah, I mean, and from what I gathered and what we gathered there is that Sujo cuisine is very gourmet. Um, you know, tailored to just wealth and royalty. But on the outside, it looks very simple. But the technique and finesse that goes into these dishes and the the how complicated they are isn't readily, you know, seen. But they are very complicated dishes. So that was like a comment that we found through the Sujo. Common thread. Yeah. Silk is a big thing in, in Sujo too. Because like that, we went to a silk factory Wait, one before day. Wait, before we go into silk, 
best pork belly dishes, top oh. five best. Like how good you just you're describing like ever them seductively. Ever? How, or like how, how good were these pork belly dishes? I mean, you go first. Like to be one. honest with you, I don't even like pork belly, and I loved all those dishes. So for me, the best pork belly dishes I had came in Suzhou. So I, I, I would venture to go that high too. Damn. Yeah, I'm not I, here because the pork belly I've had here has it's been crispy. And it's all hype. Well, and it is hype. <laughs> like they they don't give a fuck it's over been there for five years. <laughs> yeah, they just it's just part of their cuisine. What's hype is like in all the different presentations like they rip that pyramid that i was talking about as you peel it off they have the bread ready and the vegetables you get to make your sandwich like that was great they didn't just plop pork belly down yeah. like they didn't just the hype wasn't the pork belly the hype was in the presentation of the pork belly i loved it that for me that that marriott the way they did that pork belly that's that's top one top two and then that first that first location which we're going to share with you guys that's also a big challenge in suzhou is like we kept coming to terms with after we went to these great places is how can we explain how to get to these great places if you yeah. don't have a tour guide or even if you have a tour guide and you want to tell them you want to go back to this place it's like it's really hard it's really hard to go back to these places because china itself their discovery system through technology is a little more challenging i felt than right here we can just jump on yelp right everything's kind of bookmarked and documented on yelp uh, IG IG and we were finding places in China that our tour guides had no idea existed because we found them on IG yeah they asked us how'd you find the spot yeah. <laughs> I was like hashtag bro <laughs> <laughs> Suzhou cuisine um, but for me like the pork belly had to be that first location where it was just it looked like it was braised for hours you, they placed it on the table and had that little jiggle, kind of like the dinosaur scene in Jurassic Park where you see the water reverberate. <laughs> you saw the pork belly just reverberate for no reason at all, just for the fact that it was so tender and so juicy and braised for so long. Um, and it was just this velvety hug inside inside my mouth. You know, and what's great about that is everybody prepares pork belly fried, deep fried, what have you. But like they took some care and really switched it up and had a different form of pork belly that I've never had. Um, and what's cool about Suzhou cuisine is it's inherently just has this slight sweetness throughout many of the dishes there. And what helps with that is because the unctuousness of the pork and the fattiness is tempered by this slight sweetness. So you're not getting sick of the of this big hunk of pork belly. You're actually just digging your face into it. Saltiness is not an issue in Suzhou cuisine. Like yeah. I'm sure there is salt, but it wasn't a lot a lot of the the correlations I have with the Chinese food I have here in America is like it's very like sodium packed. I feel I feel like dry after it. I wasn't getting that, at least from the Suzhou cuisine that we had. I did it did leave me yearning for like the punch and spice of a lot of the cuisine that I'm used to. And so, like, whenever there was chili paste, I'm like, oh, I'm lathering it. Like, I, that's one of the, like, earmarks. If you just ate Suzhou cuisine for, like, a week, you're going to be fiending for something that's going to punch you more. That's a very kind of laid back cuisine, which kind of... So, less spice, less vinegar, less yeah. salt, yes. like, all around? Just, yes. Just this light sweetness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, it's funny because we were... As we were talking with our tour guides... They were explaining the language differences and the nuances between people, say, in Shanghai versus Suzhou. Like a Suzhou dialect is actually a bit softer than 
uh, a typical like Cantonese or Mandarin. Like it's just a little bit softer. And I was like, damn, it's like a, a lot of correlations with the food. It's a little bit more mellow, a little bit more soft, a little bit more kind of sweet. It's not in your face. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I guess the Suzhou culture is like that where the, the, the city itself is known to be like a hot spot for the wealthy or couples go there to vacation or honeymoon. And it's just a place that is a paradise on earth to them. And that wealth is tempered by just not them, them just not being showy about it. And that also translates to the food because it's not showy or whatever, but it has that slight mellow temperament to it. People in China vacation here. They vacation in Suzhou. Uh, when we were at the W, I was like, yo, who visits here? Who stays in this W? He's like, it's 95% people from China. Like they're, they're taking their weekend off from Shanghai. They're getting away from the city a little bit and going to them. To me, I was like, Shanghai, Suzhou is a huge city. I mean, it was like eight, nine million people. Like, it's a big city. Yeah. But for China, not that big. And so. Yeah, they said it was a small city to them, <laughs> mind which, you. Which is not, I mean, eight million is a little bit smaller than Los Angeles. Yeah, New just, York too, just, just a there. hair. Just a hair small. And that's the small city. That's a China. small city. I think wow. it's like the 11th, 11th or 12th largest city in China is eight. Nine yeah, when we landed in Shanghai, that was different because Shanghai is what twenty five million people. So imagine wow. New York times three, and it's like this visual of Sim City, where it's skyscraper after skyscraper after skyscraper. We drove for twenty minutes straight, and it was all skyscrapers still. So just to see that, you really see how they're able to just house all these people, and twenty five million is just a regular big city to them. That's nuts. If <clears throat> if I happen to be in Suzhou in the next couple of years, outside of pork belly, what is something that even and I mean I imagine on the, on the editorial side we'll still do that hard work of listing the places where we go. But if there's a type of food or a type of cuisine that you thought represented Suzhou really well outside of the pork belly, what do you think that was? And what should we kind of bookmark for finding while we're there? For me, it was um, the vegetables, the vegetable mm -hmm. dishes um, with, of all kinds and the freshness of it all and how simply prepared it was. Um, they didn't do much to it beyond just letting the ingredients shine. Um, the freshness of the bok choy, the lotus root. I've never had lotus root before. Oh, how was that? What's lotus root like? Lotus root is, um, it's just, I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like... The way it's presented, they slice it thin, and it's just—it's like a sweet, a root vegetable, but Swiss cheese, because of the holes in it, um, and the texture was more like a softer celery, and had a, a better flavor, just a slight a flavor to it. But um, they use lotus root in a lot of the vegetable dishes. So for me, the freshness of the vegetables were really stood out. I would definitely recommend going to the restaurant that we went on. Chi Tang Old Street, I think, where basically I put up a video Shantang. on this. Shai Tang. Shantang Old Shantang Street. Old Street. Yeah. Um, it's this gorgeous restaurant, and I put up a video of one of their chefs. He's basically creating this orb of dough. And when I say orb, I'm saying bigger than a basketball. But it starts as a ball of dough that's the smaller than the size of your fist. And, and I think the only thing on this dough is like a bit of sugar. 
and he drops it into this pan of oil and he sits with it and he just marinates it with its own oil and you slowly start seeing it grow like a balloon little by little by little by little and as i'm watching it i do it in fast motion for the for instagram but even if the balloon explodes a little bit he knows just where to put the oil and it seamlessly seams up that hole and the ball keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger when you go to eat this thing it now sits as this giant balloon and as soon as you tear a bit of it obviously it deflates but this balloon this ball of dough tastes I can only describe it as like a sesame dough, sesame bread meets a kettle corn flavor. So like, wow, okay. It's like slightly sweet, but you kind of get you kind of get where that's going. And I was just sopping up everything with it. Like noodles, yeah, I'll wrap it up in this dough. But I felt like that ball of dough was like the most indicative of Suzhou cuisine. Simple on the outside, like dough and sugar. But like you made a glowing orb out of it like how did it get there and, and it took deal. him time like yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a like yeah this is just flash fried and boom it happens he had to sit with it you can't leave that alone you can't drop it in a fryer come back five minutes he has to sit with it and care with it until it becomes this giant orb and so that was a that restaurant was a perfect mix of like street and sit down food because they have this open kitchen where the kitchen is open to the street that walks by so you could see that but then the actual restaurants inside so it's really cool to see that. And I would recommend checking out our Instagram and just following the, the Google map coordinates to that place. But I, I like that glowy orb ball. They couldn't describe it any better than that too. They were yeah. just like, it's a dough, it's a ball of dough. Like that's, Sticky, that's how you order rice flour. Is it. Is it not too different than some of the sesame things that you might've had at a, like a Cantonese dim sum no, type place? Not different at all. It's the same dough that they use. It's just inflated into this. That's it's tasty globe. it's honestly magical the way the way it comes to life and it's a super simple video because it's watching a guy with a wok pour oil over over this dough and just you're it you're just transfixed because it's amazing you don't understand how adding oil the way he's doing it will expand dough it doesn't make any sense we were mad you. curious like yeah who thought of this <laughs> it had to have started as like a mistake where someone like left something in oil for too long and then it just started blowing up and they were like damn maybe we can make this look nice but yeah i don't know i i love that i would sop that up i would highly recommend getting that dough ball yeah it's like Next a sticky rice go. balloon um why does why does McDonald's in Asia always have like fire stuff. I mean, because the photo that we put up, fried chicken cutlet, there was like a shrimp sandwich, because milk tea. I, I I think McDonald's US, you guys underestimate the adventurousness of the Western palate these days, and they're not willing to branch out of it and give us more. Um, we're adventurous eaters now. We're fucking air quotes foodies and whatnot and this is the age of food exploration so that is why i think mcdonald's us underestimates you know our desires i, th I think though there's only so much room on a menu so like yeah you go to mcdonald's in True. mexico yeah. and they might have a fire horchata on it but like dude there's only so many spots in the restaurant both physically and on the menu that like they can't have orchata in the menu in China because like we're gonna take that time to transition that. What if they don't like it? Also like they might have a dope like rose tea from the Middle East that we're not gonna put on. Like so I get 
why menus are different in different countries and kind of pander to the tastes of that region as much as i wish there was like this international mcdonald's that was housed and suited to be able to serve me all the cool shit i see from across the country i mean imagine I get, how dope would it be to walk into mcdonald's and you're just grabbing that giant cutlet and this oh, is for sure. this is my lunch i vote i vote for them to bring that cutlet and we've seen that type of cutlet at the very least from like night market vendors mm -hmm. that might be Taiwanese yeah. in nature. They had a street um, food in, in Suzhou. And that, had it. that type of cutlet, if I could get that more places and served in that paper bag mm -hmm. where you can just eat on the go so the oil's not hitting your like hands. Oh, man. Anything cutlet like that, I'm so down for. Yeah. McDonald's has an interesting job cause just because it's like – they have this universally recognized brand, but they have to be universally safe for everyone. Like it's it's a it's a safe haven. Like when we landed in that McDonald's in Suzhou, you're like, oh, this is like a portal back to the United States. We hop, skipped, and jumped toward that thing. Like, <laughs> we, we haven't even been in Shanghai like two hours, and we're like, oh, McDonald's, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but like all McDonald's across the world are pretty much the same, save one or two exclusive items. Like frankly, they're all pretty similar. And I think they need to do that by design. They can't fundamentally be no. different at every location. It's not McDonald's and you lose that allure. All that said, like, I w yeah, I wish I could have that cutlet here at McDonald's. I'd probably hit McDonald's more. But KFC was interesting. Pizza Hut was interesting. It's definitely just an elevated experience at all these places. Yeah. Does exploring Suzhou make you excited to explore other regions Absolutely. in China? Yeah. Yeah, Without a doubt. I'm like addicted to after I downloaded my WeChat app is staying in touch with the people there more so than I did in other on my other travels. Right. Like I've met a lot of great people on all our travels. But what I felt I was leaving behind in China was this portal to this world that I still haven't explored entirely. And that goes back to the first time when Harold at that dinner asked us why Americans don't come. And why I don't want to change much of anything there. Like, let me explore this WeChat through the characters in Chinese that I don't understand. Let me continue to explore and enjoy this part of the world that intrinsically isn't Western. It's not like us at all. And so, yes, I do wish things were a bit easier. Like, yes, do I wish they took US dollars? Yes. Do I wish they had Facebook and Instagram? So my new Chinese friends can interact with me on my social platforms? Yes. But do I think they should adopt all of that tomorrow? No. Like I think part of what makes it its own beautiful beast is that we don't have to look at it through this like Western American gaze that makes it feel like, yeah, these things should have, you should have Facebook. Like your, your restaurant should be on Instagram. Like, no, because then what if they start design? What if these restaurants start designing shit to look good on Instagram? What I like about WeChat is I'm sharing these pictures of basically sh they're, they're shitty framed photos of just delicious looking food. And like, this is popping WeChat we have now. There's like 11 people in it, but it's going to get to 500. It's going to be cracking. <laughs> but it's just our, our Chinese friends just sharing pictures that they took that aren't good. But they're they'll have they'll have text explanations of what we're looking at and maybe how to get there and like that's something that I haven't experienced in so long and I love that world and I want to keep that portal open but I don't sure. want the other end of that portal to look like America 
in fucking 10 years. I mean, I think just the insular nature of China is what gives its its charm, its uniqueness, its distinctness. And from from these set of Western eyes and tongue and palate, like that's what you go away want to get away from is mm-hmm. and you want to go to there for that experience you want to travel there for that unique experience so um yeah if, to answer harold's question why don't more americans travel there i wish i knew too because there's so much to explore and really um fulfill out of your senses do you guys think that you were able to travel with eyes open even wider because the technology that we're all on was limited did you guys have a fuller experience because technology was limited or did you sure we leaned on the 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 unknown and the, and the discomfort helped us get into other comfortable places within us mm-hmm. um so that also helped us lean on locals who had a better insight than what technology could provide yeah I mean, that's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's fundamentally like the most different place, and I and I like it. It's hard to encompass into because when Harold asked us that question, there are obvious reasons why people don't go there. Like the visa process is hard. A lot of people didn't even know you could go to China. Like, there's a lot of you know just the general reasons why people don't travel to begin with, even to more accessible places, is why people don't go to China. Um, but also media is a big part of it. A lot of media is not getting out of China. Yeah. Like a, there's a re, like you're not seeing anything like trend on your Instagram and Facebook because they don't have that. So it's trending on WeChat. It's trending on these other platforms that are by design not accessible to a U.S. audience. You can't start a WeChat like official page. Like you can't have your own page if you're not a Chinese citizen or have a some sort of Chinese business relationship. So by design, it's boxing you out. Um, but I don't think of it. I don't think they think of it as like boxing America out. They're just like, this is our social network. Yeah, it's just them. It's yeah. not built for us. Like, I, I wish I wish there was tech that we could access to more easily explore China, more readily prepare for a trip. So, like, for people looking to travel there, I, as much as I hate going on, quote unquote, like, tours, I, I just don't like the pressure of being on a tour. That's the con to me. Like, when you go on a tour, you feel like you're forever not on your own. You always have a tour guide. There are pros. There are pros. Well, there's I'm just less spontaneity, for right. sure. So the tours that I've been on, pros being you meet other people that are in a similar situation, mm-hmm. tight. You have someone that has knowledge and leading your tour and built around certain things that you do want to for sure do while you're in that country. Amazing. But then when inspiration hits and you want to go explore because that's the reason we're traveling in the first place, it can really put you in that box, right? Where, well, the bus is leaving in an hour, so I <laughs> hope you can do your exploring in, in that hour. Yeah. But I would imagine specifically for China, especially because of the language barrier, at least start there. Right? Highly recommend. There. Highly recommend getting a tour guide in China. And and I think what you can do after talking to the tour operators that we did have is that you can kind of build a tour for yourself as well. So maybe it's like, yo, I want to build in this spontaneity. I need you there. Maybe leave me alone and give me your number and give me your WeChat, and I'm gonna stay in touch with you. Like so that way you can only hit them up if. 
there's like an issue or a language barrier. So I think there's value in having a tour guide there, even if you're not a quote unquote tour person. But then there are stuff that you do not want to miss that a tour guide will take you to. Like gardens, not just relegated to Suzhou, like there's just gorgeous gardens in all of China. Like it's stuff you need to see and a, an American uh, English speaking tour guide will give you as close to an, a brilliant experience as possible, like hearing why these gardens are impressive. Um, we went to a gorgeous garden that was like surrounded by these giant white walls. And our tour guide was basically like, look, it really speaks to Suzhou personality that like it's flashy on the inside, but they're not, they're not trying to stunt to everyone. That's why to even get into this garden, you can't see it from the outside and everything is, it's it's built like the the mazy windy uh, sidewalks within this garden are built so you don't just walk through this place you really like sink it in let things enjoy like enjoy yourself as you as you enjoy these, these well manicured gardens and everything is those gardens are man made yeah like they're they're not trying to flex in Suzhou they're, I mean because a lot of the stuff that we found we just turn into this alleyway and we're suddenly there or we just go behind this wall and we're suddenly in there's this there's no build up to stuff it yeah, just we're suddenly in this beautiful garden like you said so um just there's this hidden facade within and that's not necessarily trying to be hidden in a shady manner but more so hidden in just not trying to be in an ostentatious manner it's classy so if you want to go to china be patient Travel with the right people. You got to travel with adventurers. Don't travel with people that, you know, I can't imagine. We had a great group, so I can't imagine it. I've, I know other friends that I have that I probably cannot travel to China with. There's not, yeah. if you have no semblance of patience, like, this is not the place for you. You don't speak their language. What's up, Iz? You, oh, don't travel with Izzy? <laughs> You would have got motion sickness everywhere, bro. I mean, you've traveled with me. You know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Izzy gets lost on a cruise ship, bro. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. That's my takeaway. I like it, man. I, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm really excited about visiting there. Yeah. Just you, from, as you should. I from think. like what I saw and what you guys posted and the conversation we're having, there's just something to me when travel is challenging, but I can step up to the task and there's less people doing it. That makes me really excited because I, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's – I'd rather do that than go to somewhere like Iceland that dozens of my friends have been and mm-hmm. kind of do all the same, which is amazing and looks amazing and, yeah. and hats off to Iceland and we're probably destroying their glacier and all sorts <laughs> of shit. But, but like something like that just – I don't know. The planning mentality side of me is like if you can crack it, there's yeah. so much rewards on the other side of that because it's an experience that not that many people within our, I think within our friend group, within our network can really speak about Suzhou, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and that's pretty fun to me. Yeah. It's a, it's a nut that has yet to be cracked. And as I left, I felt like we still have not cracked this nut. And I don't know if that's a, uh, like a really Western thing or like a us thing that we feel like after we travel somewhere, like, fuck, I get this place. Like, I still don't get China. And I, which leaves so much more to explore. 
And I think that's okay. That's cool. I mean, you're not supposed to understand a place in seven days. No, that's that's the beautiful beautiful thing of it is just that it invokes that need to explore even more because it's like, whoa, what's this new thing? I want more of it. Or what? How can I experience anything else that I've never experienced before? Um, and that's what's exciting about it. Like, you know, I don't. I and I don't even feel like we did the tourist thing in Suzhou. No, we. It's just traveling somewhere, and we actually just. Lived like locals. We didn't go to any touristy spots, so I think that's the most exciting part of it. Is we actually went to somewhere that wasn't this Instagram friendly. Found it through a hashtag. Found it because all my friends are going to it. Like it was just this brand new experience for us. It's also not a main city. Like we didn't just go to Shanghai and then just do content there. We went an hour outside of a town that you've heard of. Like I, my none of my friends know what. The Suzhou was yeah. like I didn't know what it was until the opportunity landed in our lap to explore a city that we've never heard of. So, uh, if you guys want any more info, we are launching a ton of content about Suzhou. The Taste of Details episode. We have a couple news bites, but you guys have been sending in some awesome like DMs on my personal Instagram, on the Food Beast Instagram, on the Ketchup Instagram. Feel free to keep asking. Some of you guys live there right now, which is amazing that you're accessing Instagram and you hit us up on that. So we're more the more you guys ask us, we want to stay in touch with people there. So let us know. Um, I'll DM you back our WeChat. And um, also, thank you guys for buying merch. People did buy it on the off off our code that Rudy didn't know that I made. So go to <laughs> shop.foodbeast.com. Fire merch. And use discount code the ketchup. We don't share that code anywhere but here. So if you listen all the way to our ranting and raving about China, appreciate you guys. Use that code, pick up some merch, tag us in it. We'll regram you. Thank you guys for listening. Follow the ketchup on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, it's where we're, you know, we put up stories for the next episode where we get our questions from. So make sure you follow us there. And uh, and like always, please like and subscribe and leave. Leave reviews wherever you can. Yeah. Hey, if you leave a review on the iTunes store, screen cap that review and DM me at either the Food Beast Ketchup on Instagram or at Book of Eli. I'll give you a super special code for the merch. Like Ooh. like worth it to screen grab and send it to me. Also, Ooh. we'll send someone a shirt. What's up? I said we'll also just send someone a shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just oh, some I special, like that. Some special someone that's yeah. sends, that's DMs us is getting a shirt. Special incentives, y'all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that? just DM us. DM us. Trust. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening. Till next week. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Reach. All right. <laughs>